Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. You can find that in the blue pew Bible under, under the seat in front of you on page 1. Next week, we are beginning our fall series, sermon series, where we will be going through the book of Proverbs. Um, but today, we will be completing what we've been doing this summer, is looking at key mission focuses for us as a church and key things that we value, core values that we have as a body of believers here at, at Cornerstone. In particular this week, continuing on from last week, we are looking at the need for the community of believers to be engaged in relationship with one another, to be connected in Christ-centered relationships so that we would grow as followers of Jesus Christ. Last week, as we began to look at this, we studied in particular the necessity for Christians to be engaged in relationships with other believers, namely because of the aspect of our broken and fallen condition because of the components of our own sinfulness and self-deception that we become hardened to that we become hardened to sin we become self-deceived we become we have not only have spiritual blindness but we become blind to our own blindness and that places us in a perilous position but god has given us one another to be to help us so that help us to grow in relationship with him and so last week, we looked at this component of our, of our sinful and our broken and fallen condition that necessitates us to be engaged in a relationship. Today, we are looking at something even more fundamental, something more basic, something more foundational in how we were designed. So we're going to begin this morning looking at a few short verses in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. In the creation narrative, God says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us to see who you are, to understand your characteristics, the very nature of your being and how you exist and what that means for us being made in your image and what it means for us to be redeemed and renewed in the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. In short, the emphasis of this, path, this verse of Scripture is that you were designed for one anothering. You were designed for one anothering. This verse here tells us, it says, let us make man in our image, that God said, let us make man in our image, that we are created in the image of God. Well, what does that mean? The first three words in this verse of what God said actually give us a lot of insight. He begins by saying, let us make. God said, let us make. It's a remarkable statement of self-declaration that the eternal Godhead of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who exists that this one God who exists in three persons, that when he's about to take an action says, let us make, that the eternal God exists in relationship and lives in relationship, exists and lives in an eternal fellowship, an eternal community of the Godhead. And not only does God exist in relationship, exist in community, but notice the third word, let us make, that God does work. God engages in work in the things, engages in ministry as a community, that the task and the work that God does 
is a community project. Let us make that it is the Godhead in community engaged in the work that that it's doing. We see this clearly laid out in this verse when the description of creation, let us make. But we see it in many other things that God does throughout Scripture. One of those I'll focus mention briefly is God's plan of salvation. The, interse- the interaction of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the Father from all eternity planned and laid out his plan of salvation, that God the Son accomplishes this plan of salvation through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, and the Holy Spirit applies this salvation in our life. But the Godhead doing work, existing and working and bringing about his ministry in relationship and doing ministry in relationship. That's just a snapshot of the image of God. or That's just a snapshot of who God is and how God is made in relationship. And what the text says, it says, God said, let us make man in our image. So what does it mean for us if that is the picture of the Godhead? What does it mean that we are made in the image of God? That we are made with those characteristics? Well, it's the very aspect that the characteristic, the fundamental characteristic of humanity is that we were designed for relationship. That we were made as communal beings created to be, exist, and to live, and to work in community, a community centered on God, but in community, in relationship with one another. This intentionality of God's design for us to be living and engaged with one another becomes clearer in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. This is where God gives the declaration where he says, It is not good for man to be alone. Makes the statement about Adam, and then he goes and creates Eve. He says, It is not good for man to be alone. But to understand this, we need to, to recognize that that statement, it is not good for man to be alone, is not so much about Adam's neediness as it is about God's design for humanity. That the reason why Adam had the need was because God designed humanity to, be, to be exist in a relationship, to be relational beings that are connected with one another. That we were designed for one another and to be in relationship with one another. But the reality is, for many of us, is that that picture of a, of a relationship, of community, of working together, is far from our experience. That most of our relationships are, are, are broken and painful. That maybe you grew up in a broken home or have a broken marriage or have ex- extenuating pain and hurt in the relationships around you. And that this brokenness is the experience of many people. Indeed, and so this idea of being engaged in a relationship, being connected with other Christians, is that that just kind of raises your anxiety level. It's like, I don't really want to know other people. I don't really want to let people into my life that... You know, there's, there's risk, there's heartache, there's pain, there's, there's mess. I was talking about this some time ago with, with a man, and he was acknowledging his need to be engaged in a relationship, particularly with other men. But he said, can I just be frank with you? I said, go for it. And he said, you know, I understand that the need to have other relationships in my life and to invest in other relationships. But truthfully, when I look at people, I just see problems. He's like, I look at a crowd of people and I just see a problem after another problem after another problem. And the idea of engaging with people and bringing all of those problems into my life, I have no interest in that. (laughs) I appreciated the honesty. 
What you see is that not only were we designed for relationship, and yes, for many of us, that re- those relationships have been broken, that our relationships, kind of like Adam and Eve's not too long later, that there is accusation and slander and shame and confusion and frustration and jealousy and anger in our relationships. But not only did God design us for relationships, but he also redeemed us into relationships. You see, our relationship with God was broken because each one of us and mankind as a whole turned and centered our life on ourselves instead of doing so on God. And as a result, our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship with other people was broken. And that brought in all these things of guilt and shame and frustration and jealousy and anger all came together. And we were designed for relationship. But not only that, but God has redeemed us into relationship into relationship. Because through, though we have all these broken relationships, God entered into this world and he repairs and works to repair our broken relationships. And he did so by breaking his own. That on the cross, this eternal Godhead, who existed in community from all eternity, That on the cross, the Father shatters his relationship with the Son and breaks that relationship. Why? So that ours could be restored. So that your and my relationship with God could be restored and renewed. So that there would begin to be his Spirit working in our relationships with one another to bring about restoration and healing in our life and indeed in, in this world. But the point that I want to emphasize here this morning is that for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, the same act of faith that brought you into a relationship with Jesus, the same act of faith that united you to Jesus Christ, necessarily unites you to one another. Is that you cannot have a self-enclosed relationship with God. Period. Is that because you are united to Christ, therefore you are united to one another. We as Americans, as American Christians, are so rampant with our individualism and seeing faith individualistically. And there is a distorted truth in that. Is that so many of us see our faith and we live out our faith saying, you know what, it's just about me and my relationship with God. You know, I don't need anybody else. It's me and God and God working in my life and and, and that dynamic. You know, God and I, God's spirit works in me. You know, we we can work this thing together. And our faith is so individualistic. And the truth that becomes distorted is this, is that for each one of us, there is an individual decision that needs to be made. Individually, each person has to decide whether or not they're going to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as their boss, and as their master. Each person has to individually decide it. Nobody can decide it for you. If you're around other Christians just because they are doesn't mean you are. You have to make that decision. And so though it is an individual decision, the result is communal. The result is communal is that when you become united to Christ, you therefore become united to one another. See, get a glimpse of this idea about how does being united to Christ necessarily unite us to one another. You get a glimpse of this when you see some of the children playing in 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 the ballroom, and they have one of those parachutes. And as they're using the parachute... You know, the kids are all holding on to it, and they throw it up, and, you know, all sit down underneath it, and great time, good fun games. I like them. Um, 
And it, but the thing though with the parachute is that as every kid is holding onto the parachute, as every child is connected to the parachute, if the kid that is across on the other side yanks on it, everybody else feels it because they're united together. If one person pulls on it or doesn't do it, everybody else feels it. Why? Because the parachute has united them together. So too in our relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are united to Jesus Christ through your faith in him, you are necessarily united to one another. Why? Because you're united to Christ. And because you're united to Christ, that therefore connects you with other people and unites you, unites you to other believers. We see this not only the image of, of, of children playing with, or adults playing with a parachute, but the New Testament images of what God is doing are communal images. They're images not about the individual. They're images about the body of Christ, the, the communal corporate body. And the expression of Christianity is articulated in such a way that Christianity, that the church, that the body of Christ is not individuals who are brought together to form something greater. Rather, Christ died for his body of which you are individually a part of it. Notice the many, several different biblical images of this. And as we look at these things, I want you to notice the relational, communal nature of how they are necessarily brought into relationship with one another. Acts chapter 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. To attention to yourself and to all the flock, speaking to the elders, that the church is the flock. It is not a collection of individual sheep. It is a corporate and communal entity. And Christ died for the flock, not for a whole bunch of individuals. He died for the flock. So too, Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22. Notice the communal connected images. You are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Notice the interdependent relational connection between these different between the different components. It comes a little bit clearer in 1 Peter chapter 2. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Who are you individually? Who is the individual Christian? The individual Christian is a living stone. And what happens to that living stone? That living stone is joined together and built into a spiritual house dependent upon other people and other people dependent upon it. That's the individual. So too, 1 Peter chapter 2, 9-10. through 10. Notice the images. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own. There is nothing individualistic about that. Rather, it is a reflection of the image of God manifesting itself in a community of believers. So too, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here this passage that describes the body of Christ, how we're all members of the body and not everyone's an eye and not everyone's a foot, that you need each other, that you need to be dependent on each other. That whole discourse is bracketed by these two verses. For just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. To notice the order of priority. Principally, 
We are the body of Christ. Secondarily, individually, you are a member of it. It is not the other way around. Principally, it is the body of Christ and secondarily, individual members of it. Now, reflecting on this passage, um, Tim Lane and Paul Tripp in their book, Relationship Worth, Relationships a Mess Worth Making, give this summary about the necessity of this. They say, so, are relationships optional for you? The arguments from Scripture in daily life say absolutely not. If my identity as a human being is tied to community, then to deny, avoid, escape, misuse, exploit, or, to, or destroy it is to deny my own humanity. That to be isolated from relationship is to be less than human. To be less than you were designed and created to be. Now, focusing on this passage and this concept this week, the biblical command that we are called to be in relationship with one another, that we are designed to be in relationship with one another, that we are exhorted to encourage one another and support one another and love one another, really is kind of quite simple. I mean, there's not too many different ways that you can say that the Scripture calls us to be in relationship to one another. I mean, that's kind of the point. It's right there. And Scripture, when you look at the New Testament, not just these Old Testament verses that I mentioned in these different images, but in the New Testament, there are some 34 different commands that Scripture exhorts the body of believers to express in relationship to one another about how, they are to, how you, how we are to interact and interact with one another, how we are to love and support one another. And so in thinking through this about impressing this truth upon you, and that's my goal here quite simply today, is to impress upon us the need for one another. We're going to go old school, as in we're going to go way old school to ancient Israel old school is that there are times in the life of ancient Israel where ancient Israel, the people of God, they didn't need a new truth. They didn't need a different explanation of a truth. But what they needed is they needed that truth impressed upon them. And the way that the people of Israel impressed that God worked to impress that truth upon them is that the nation recited the truths of God aloud to one another. One example of this is that when the people of God were about to move into um, the promised land, is that they came up to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And as they came there, Moses divided the nation into two two halves. And one half went up Mount Gerizim and the other half went up Mount Ebal. And this is a natural amphitheater. It's about one mile across. And what they did is that the nation were gathered on opposite sides is that they recited the promises, the blessings and curses of the law to one another. And they shouted across this valley the truths of Scripture. Was it because they were new truths? No, they'd heard it many times. Was it because it was a new explanation? No, they'd heard it many times before. But what it was is that they needed to impress the truths that God calls them to on their hearts and in their lives. And so they spent... A somewhat greater portion of a day shouting back and forth the truths of Scripture to one another so they would be impressed upon their hearts as they moved into the new and as they moved into the promised land. So we are going to reproduce this this here this morning in an antiphonal response. 
with our left side and our right side. And what we're going to do here is we are going to go through the commands that Christ calls us to and that Scripture calls us to as a community to love one another and to be devoted to one another. And so the point of doing this is not simply for you to say these things, but for you to proclaim them in such a way that the my right-hand side of the room would encourage the left-hand side of the room with these truths, and the left-hand side of the room would encourage the right-hand side of these rooms with these, the right-hand side of the room with these truths. So what we need you to do this morning is that as we go through these some 34-odd commands, I didn't include all of them, but most of them, just to gauge your expectations, um, as we go through these here this morning, the purpose of this is that you as a body would encourage one another with the truths of Scripture. So here we go, beginning on my right-hand side, declare it loudly. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Right-hand side. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, But through love, serve one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. 
But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. As you can see, and I hope impressed upon you, Scripture calls us into relationship with one another because we were designed to be in relationship with one another. We were redeemed into relationship with one another. This fall, our principal strategy for promoting this and making this happen is our community group ministry, which will be starting the following week, and September 14th. And the goal of our community groups is to get to become connected in Christ-centered relationships, to have a context to encourage one another in spiritual growth, to support one another through life, to pray for one another in our spiritual growth and becoming more like Jesus Christ. The way that these will work is that there will be a couple weeks of study, followed by a week of, of um, a fellowship activity and then a service activity or mission activity within the groups. The way that the discussion is going to work is that it'll be taking the principles of the sermon and applying them further. It's not a rehash of the sermon, but it'll be exploring them further, um, looking at parallel passages, going for deeper application, massaging the truth into our daily lives so that the Word of God becomes manifested in our life and manifested in our community. So too, if you are looking for other in-depth study on Sunday mornings concurrent with both services, there are more in-depth Bible studies that are going on, and also one possibly Sunday night. Now I do know that for many of you, this whole idea of being engaged in a relationship, serving one another, being connected with one another, I, I understand that all this relational stuff for some of you is, is kind of intense, it's a little bit intimidating, it might make you, might make you nervous. Well, We've been working on training our community group leaders, and I think there's about 16 groups now that we've got trained and a couple more that are about to come on, that are about to come together. And so we've been working with our community group leaders to, to train them in the vibe that we are going for in our community groups. And so here's a short intro.